0: Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled Faith, Family, and Friendship, was given on February 6th, of 2007 by Peter M. Johnson, then an assistant professor of accounting at BYU. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. I'll begin by telling you a little bit about myself and in the process sharing with you my testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the three key ingredients we need to ensure happiness and peace in this life and a taste of what life will be like in our heavenly home. I grew up in the Queensboro of New York City. New York City is a wonderful place full of excitement and entertainment. And as a youth, I was heavily involved with rap music, and my brother and I belonged to a group called CBS. No, it's not the television station, but the acronym CBS stood for Can't Be Stopped. We thought the name was cool. (laughs) We traveled throughout New York City performing at wedding receptions, high school dances, and block parties. And during the summer months, we had different rap groups visit our neighborhood to perform free concerts. Most of the youth involved with rap visited the parks to listen and at time compete with the other rap groups. Often, however, these free concerts attracted drug deals and promoted random violence. It was during the summer of my 14th year that a random violent event occurred, which I will not go into at this time, but it provided me an opportunity to leave New York City and change the course of my life forever. I was fortunate that during that time, my mother, who lived in Hawaii, decided to send the family money and invited all the children to move with her to Hawaii. The money came at the right time, and within a week, I purchased a one-way ticket to Hawaii. When I arrived in Hawaii, I recognized quickly the many differences from New York City, the clear blue water from the ocean and the fresh, cool breeze at night. I also recognized the many different nationalities and cultures. And after attending my first day of Mililani High School, I came home and told my mother that it felt like I attended a United Nations meeting and that I represented Africa. (laughs) During the first few weeks of high school, the basketball coach noticed I was one of the tallest young men on campus and invited me to try out for the basketball team. While living in New York, I didn't play much basketball as I enjoyed baseball and was on a bowling team. I had never played on a basketball team. I believe it was because of my height that I started on a varsity team as a sophomore. We won three basketball games that year, and everyone in the community was excited because it was three more games than the team had won the year before. (laughs) In my junior year, we won six basketball games, and by the time I was a senior, we won 14 games and became the Western Division champions and advanced to the Hawaii State playoffs. Due to the success of my senior year, I was recruited to play basketball for the BYU Hawaii campus. All I knew about BYU-Hawaii was that it was a church school, similar to a Notre Dame or St. Mary's University. At the start of my fall semester, I was instructed by my academic advisor that I needed to take several religion courses to graduate from BYU-Hawaii. For my first semester, I decided to take the New Testament, and for the first time, I began to understand, in part, the importance of a Savior. While living in New York, I was a converted Muslim. The Islamic faith regarded Jesus Christ as a great prophet or a great man similar to Moses or Abraham. I did not realize the importance of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice until I read about his life in the book of Luke. I studied how the Savior healed the sick, raised the dead, made the blind to see and the deaf to hear. Will you imagine for a minute that we all lived during the time of the Savior? We watched from a distance as he performed the many miracles, called his apostles and fed the 4,000. We also watched as he took upon him the sins of the world. In Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 44, it reads, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. The word want means usually. Often when the Savior wanted to be alone, he visited the Mount of Olives and other similar places to pray. The scripture continues, And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed. Imagine the Savior instructing his apostles to pray to overcome temptation and that he withdrew himself about a stone's cast around 30 to 40 yards and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I believe the Savior at this moment knew that he was about to take upon him the sins of the world and asked, Father, if there's another way that this sacrifice could be made, But if not, let thy will be done. And there appeared an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, grape drops of blood falling down to the ground. The Savior felt the pains of our sins. You know how it feels when you have made a mistake and your heart begins to ache. The Savior felt our heartache and our feelings of guilt and anguish. He took upon him the sins of all mankind, my sins, your sins, and the sins of all those who lived before and the sins of all those who live after us. And the pain was so great that it caused the Savior, even Jesus Christ, to bleed from every pore of his body. Well, you know the rest of the story. Judas betrays the Savior with a kiss, and Jesus suffers more pain before he's nailed to the cross. The Savior suffered death so that we might have life. As the fall semester progressed, I was introduced to the missionaries. They visited my dorm room on a regular basis. I can remember playing my rap music on my boombox. I would ask the missionaries if they wanted me to turn the music down. It was not until I served my mission when I learned that the missionaries were not allowed to listen to music. And so for a long time, I thought this was the reason why the missionaries came by my dorm room so often. (laughs) After about a week of daily visits, the missionaries asked if I wanted to take the missionary discussions. My first discussions with the missionaries was in a library on the BYU-Hawaii campus, and they showed me the video, The First Vision. The movie talked about Joseph Smith and how at the age of 14, he felt confused about the many different religions. He wanted to learn the truth and to understand more fully the plan of our Heavenly Father. Young Joseph searched the scriptures, and he read in James 1-5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. The scripture touched young Joseph, and he decided to exercise his faith and to ask God. Joseph Smith went into a grove of trees, knelt to pray, and as he prayed, he saw a marvelous light, and in the midst of that light, young Joseph saw our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. As I watched this video, I felt in my heart that it was true. Joseph Smith exercised faith, trusted in the Lord, and his prayer was answered. The missionaries continued to teach, to teach me the remainder of the fall semester. It was fun, I learned a lot, but I had no desire to join. The next semester I was again instructed by my advisor that I needed to take a religion course. I decided to take the Book of Mormon. I had no doubt about additional scriptures because as a Muslim I had studied the Holy Quran. My Book of Mormon instructor was Brother Gary Smith of the School of Business. I started to read about Nephi and how as a young man he listened to the Lord. And when Father Lehi instructed his son to return to Jerusalem for the brass plates, Laman and Lemuel complained, whereas Nephi simply said, I will go and do as the Lord commands, for I know the Lord giveth us no commandment until the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the things which he commanded them. Nephi exercised faith, trusted in the Lord, and obtained the brass plates. I read on. I read about King Benjamin and how he served the people with all his heart, might, mind, and strength. He loved the people he served, and more importantly, he loved the Lord. During his last days upon the earth, he built a tower so that he might be able to teach the many things pertaining to the kingdom of God. King Benjamin states, I tell you these things that you may learn wisdom, that you may learn that when you are in the service of your fellow being, you are only in the service of your God. King Benjamin served his people as we must serve one another. King Benjamin exercised faith, trusted in the Lord, and brought peace to an entire nation. I read on, I read in third Nephi chapter 11 of how the resurrected Lord visited the people on the American continent. The savior was introduced by his father. Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased in whom I have glorified my name, hear ye him. And it came to pass that he stretched forth his hand and spake unto the people saying, behold, I am Jesus Christ whom the prophets testify shall come into the world and I am the light and life of the world and I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father has given me, and have glorified the Father and taken upon me the sins of the world, in the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning. The Lord then told the people to arise and come forth, to thrust their hands into his side, to feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet, that they may know that he is the God of Israel and the God of the whole earth and have been slain for the sins of the world. The Savior, my Savior, The resurrected Lord extends his hands of mercy and love to all who will come unto him. The savior, my brother, my friend. I stopped reading. It was near the end of winter semester, I completed my finals and was prepared to return home to the other side of the island. My scholarship did not cover the spring term, so I was prepared to work for the spring and summer to save money for the fall semester. On the day I was prepared to leave campus, I received a note in my mailbox from Brother Gary Smith, my Book of Mormon teacher. He wanted to see me. I returned to my dorm room and received another note that Brother Gary Smith wanted to see me. I thought to myself, why would he want to see me? Would Brother Smith give me an F grade for religion? No one ever fails religion. (laughs) I dropped by his office and the secretary mentioned that Brother Smith was at the Seasider, which is a mini cafe on BYU's campus. As we talked, Brother Smith proceeded to tell me how I knew the church was true and it was time for me to join the church. I looked at him amazed, and wondered what he had been drinking. <laughs> he continued and said, From what I'm about to tell you, either one or two things will happen. You either join the church right away, or it will take you a while to join the church. He quoted a scripture in Ether chapter 12, verse six that states, And now I, am Moroni, will speak somewhat concerning these things. I will show unto the world that faith is the things which I hope for and not seen. Wherefore, dispute not, because ye see not, for you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. I thought to myself, what does the scripture have to do with me? Brother Smith explained that he believed that I was waiting for some type of miracle or vision to take place before I would join the church. He said, you need to act upon, the, upon what you already know to be true before you receive a greater witness. Wherefore, dispute not because you see not. For you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. Where Brother Smith was right, I thought... Why can I receive a vision like the Prophet Joseph Smith? I wanted a greater witness. Well, it took me a while to join the church. I returned to the other side of the island and started to hang out with my friends. Towards the end of the summer, I began to feel somewhat empty, confused, and uncertain. I was missing school and the wonderful feelings I felt at BYU Hawaii. I knew something was wrong because I couldn't wait to go back to school. Two weeks before school was to begin, I received a phone call from Coach Ken Wagner. Coach Wagner was the assistant coach at BYU Hawaii, and during that summer, he received a head coaching job at Dixie College in St. George, Utah. He called and asked if I wanted to play for him at Dixie College. I said yes, and for my first year at Dixie College, I redshirted, and I did not play basketball. This gave me the time to watch the Mormons. As I watched, I noticed there existed at least three types of Mormons, and so I thought, The first type is similar to you. Students that attend institute, take seminary, and take religious courses on a regular basis. They have a glow in their personality and always seem to have a smile on their face. And when tough times come upon them, they know to whom they can trust and that the Lord will help. The second type of Mormon are the ones who realize that they are away from home for the very first time and that no one will know what they are doing. They party, get involved in immoral relationships, and they believe they are having fun when in their heart they feel unhappy. They do not have the glow. The third type of Mormon are the ones that sit on a fence, unsure about who they are, and when the winds of temptation, whether good or bad, blow their way, they follow in its direction. They look confused more than anything else. As I noticed these types of Mormons, I thought, "Well, Peter, what type of Mormon do you want to be? Well, I want to be just like Rick West, my first college roommate at BYU-Hawaii and a return missionary. Bob Barnes, a teammate at Dixie College, and a great friend, and Coach Wagner, who helped to understand the importance of family. They have the glow. I thought, well, if I'm going to be a Mormon, I must learn how they date. (laughs) Therefore, I enrolled in an institute class called Dating and Courtship. (laughs) And I guess the other 28 male students in the class thought the same as I. At this time at Dixie College, a good friend, Trudy Smith, began to take the missionary discussions. She invited me to attend with her. This time, the sister missionaries taught me about the Church of Jesus Christ. And as you know, the sister missionaries teach the gospel differently than the elders. After each discussion, they used to cry as they share their testimony. And they wanted so much to hug me, but they realized I was against mission rules. Towards the end of the discussions, though, they asked me to do something that the elders did not. They asked me to fast and to pray about the truthfulness of the gospel. I was familiar with fasting. As a Muslim, we fasted during the month of Ramadan, a sacred time for worship. I fasted, and when I was done, I returned to my dorm room at Dixie College, knelt down on my knees, and simply asked Heavenly Father, is the Book of Mormon the word of God, and is Joseph Smith a prophet? No, I did not receive a vision or a visit from an angel. I felt warmth in my heart, a feeling I felt many times before, feelings I felt when I attended BYU Hawaii, the feeling I felt when I attended Brother Smith's Book of Mormon class, the feeling I felt when I saw the movie about Joseph Smith. However, this feeling of warmth came when I was by myself, and I knew it came from God. He answered my prayer. I had a testimony. I told the missionaries that I wanted to be baptized, but I wanted to return to Hawaii so my mother could witness my joining the church. I thought as soon as I got off the plane, I would find the missionaries and join the church. Well, that didn't happen. I started to hang out with my old friends and return to my old habits. However, towards the end of the summer, those old feelings of uncertainty and confusion returned. In August of 1986, I was home in my room and I decided to read the Bible. I read in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I knew I loved my mother. She is a source of strength in my life. I knew I loved my family, but that I loved God. I knelt down to pray and told my heavenly father for the first time that I loved him. Later that day, I was on my way to the gym to play basketball, and I noticed two missionaries riding their bikes. I almost ran them over. (laughs) They pulled to the side of the road. I told them to come to my home that night. They thought it was a miracle. (laughs) The next week, I was baptized a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I returned back to Dixie College and played my sophomore year. We had a great team. We won 32 games and lost only three. I was recruited by several Division I universities. However, I decided to postpone my college education to serve a mission. I was called to serve in Alabama. In Alabama, I met people and families who exercised their faith, trusted in the Lord, and because of their faith, their lives were blessed. One such individual was Sister Eva Oriang from Uganda, Africa. While living in her home country, she held held a top political office and served as a prominent member of the government. However, in the summer of 1988, government officials of Uganda received several death threats and Sister Oryang feared for her life. She left Uganda and arrived in Tuskegee, Alabama, where her oldest son was attending Tuskegee University. After two weeks of living in the U.S., she became discouraged and very depressed. She had left a few of her children and a husband back in Africa, and she was unsure as to when her family would be together again. Back in her country, she learned of God and had faith in him. And one night she prayed. She prayed all night, even until the next morning. And all she said in her prayer was this, Heavenly Father, I know I need a church. Will you please send me the right church first? In the morning, there was a knock on a door. Her daughter answered the door and returned to her mother's room. Mother, you have visitors. Sister Orian thought to herself, I'm a stranger in this country. How can I have any visitors? As she went to the door, she thought, America is a strange place. Parents send their children outdoors with names on their shirts. <laughs> the missionaries introduced themselves. Sister Oriang told the missionaries, I have just finished my prayers and asked the Lord to send me the right church. Of course, the missionaries smiled with joy and stated that they were representatives of the right church. As Sister Oriang led the missionaries to the living room there was another knock on the door. It was a minister of another faith who lived across the street. He had been watching the family for the past week and thought this would be a good time to visit the family. He was an older gentleman, and Sister Orien thought to herself, how can these young boys tell me anything about God? She led the minister into the kitchen. As he sat down, there was another knock at the door. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> Two older sisters of a yet another faith had been proselyting in the area and decided to knock on Oryang's door. She thought to herself, I have just finished my prayer and asked the Lord to send me the right church first. Sister Oryang said goodbye to the minister and the two other sisters and listened intently to the missionaries. Within weeks, Sister Oryang and her family joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Within a few months, the majority of her family came to the US and they too joined the church. Because of the Oriang family, before the Oriang family joined the church, the Tuskegee branch had about 10 members. Following Sister Oriang's conversion and through her example of faith and testimony, the branch grew from 10 members to over 60 in just nine months. And her son, David Oriang, became the branch president of the Tuskegee branch a few years later. Sister Oriang, like others, are blessed with the fullness of the everlasting gospel and shared this gift with many She understood the influence and the power of the Holy Ghost and how it helps to change lives and brings people closer to our Heavenly Father. And working with Sister Oriang following her conversion, she helped me to understand the three key ingredients necessary to ensure happiness and peace in this life and a taste of what life will be like in our Heavenly Home. The key ingredients are faith, family, and friendship. The first ingredient of faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ is essential for us to obtain the power necessary to understand the love that our Heavenly Father has for us and his desire for our success. Faith is the power that moves us to repent and instills the desire to improve and to become better. It is through the exercising of faith that allows us to overcome discouragement and heartache as we recognize that the Savior suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane so that the suffering and pain we feel at times can be relieved and peace restored. There is a difference in having faith and exercising faith. Having faith denotes a belief in the Savior. Exercising faith denotes action. It is allowing our belief to guide us to pray, to read and study the scriptures, to repent and to keep the commandments of God. It is the exercising of faith that our belief, knowledge and love for the Savior grows and strengthen us. The second ingredient is family. Having a solid family relationship is imperative in helping us to understand the principles of forgiveness, service, and selflessness. President Spencer W. Kimball, our 12th president of the the church, suggests that it is through families we master the teachings of the gospel of Christ. He states, and I quote, Spirituality is also nurtured in our actions of patience, kindness, and forgiveness towards each other and in our applying gospel principles in the family circle. Home is where we become experts and scholars in gospel righteousness, learning, and living gospel truths." End quote. Families become in all shapes and sizes. Some are raised in a single-parent home, some are adopted, and yet some are taught and raised by grandparents and other relatives. I was raised by a single parent, and my mother always taught me to have faith and help me to understand the workings of God in our lives. Now I am married and have been adopted, if you will, into Stephanie's family and continue to learn a great deal from in-laws and how important grandparents are in raising and teaching our children. The third ingredient is friendship. President Larry Gibson, stake president of the Highland Utah West Stakes, defined a friend and I quote, as one who is attached to another by affection, by esteem, and by respect. It is these attributes that leads to a desire to be with a friend and seeks to promote prosperity and happiness, end quote. Good friends provide support and guidance. In the April 1997 General Conference, President Hinckley, our beloved prophet, declared that every member of the church needs three things, a friend, a responsibility, and nurturing with the good word of God. Later, he suggests that becoming a friend is probably the most difficult To get outside our comfort zone and to extend a hand of friendship is challenging. It takes time to develop friendships, but this is the time we need to take. At some point, we will all be tested. It is a part of life, and when those times come, and they will come, it is a great feeling to know you have a friend at school, at work, or in your ward to show love, to listen to your concerns, to be an example of goodness, and to testify of truth. These are the attributes of friendship. The Savior called us his friends when he said, greater love has no man than this who layeth down his life for his friends. As we study in the book of Proverbs 17, 17, it states, a friend love us at all time. We need to take the time to become friends. There are those that you associate with that need your friendship and your support. Brothers and sisters, I know God lives. I know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the only begotten of the Father, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our friend. I know we have a living prophet, even Gordon B. Hinckley, and this is the Lord's church upon the face of the earth. We have been given much. Therefore, we must give of ourselves and incorporate and strengthen the three ingredients of faith, family, and friendships to ensure happiness and peace in this life and begin to understand, in part, what life will feel like in our heavenly home. My friends, take full advantage of the Lord's goodness. His arms of mercy and love are extended and all are invited to partake. For the Lord has said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest into your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Savior loves you, and He loves me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the Prophet Joseph Smith